0: Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Good Juju Studios is looking for an art director. This is a remote position. Also, Bandcamp is looking for a user experience designer. This is a remote position. For just $99, you can post your job listing with us, where it will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll also spread the word about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. We even offer annual job board subscriptions. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just want to take a little bit of time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. This episode is also sponsored by Poster House. In honor of Juneteenth, Poster House, the only museum dedicated to posters in the United States, is pleased to offer admission to the museum on Saturday, June 19th. Head to www.posterhouse.org and book your free ticket to visit the museum to check out Julius Klinger, Posters for a Modern Age, and Hunter S. Thompson's Run for Sheriff in the exhibit Freak Power. Remember, it's this Saturday, June 19th, and this is a free event you don't want to miss. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Brandon Gross, a UIUX designer, Adobe partner, and content creator for designers, creatives, and top design brands. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Howdy duty, Maurice. My name is Brandon Gross. Yes, gross is a nasty, not spelled that way, but I am a designer and Adobe partner um, and kind of can be summed up in terms of what I do, not necessarily what I am, but I create content for design brands and I throw on some highly edutaining design events. Nice. How's the year been going for you so far? I'm not going to lie. I love being able to be in my house and not have any outdoor obligations, my friend. You know, my partner asked me, he's like, why don't you like to go outside? And I look back to my childhood and I was like, I think I was always in a corner with a computer and like two sheets to like cover my whereabouts. (laughs) So I could (laughs) focus either playing games or learning things on the internet. Honestly, my year has been good. I absolutely love learning. It's not the same for everybody else. Everybody has a different situation, but I've been very lucky to, you know, have healthy family members and be in the situation that I'm in. So it's been good.
0: Good. What lessons did you learn over the past year? Like, how do you think you've grown and improved?
1: I'm a very anxious person. My okay. parents are like, Brandon, you need to <laughs> Where's that. pro? I don't even know if Prozac is the thing. But I don't think stress or anxiety is a negative thing. I really think it is a beautiful thing, at least in my case, because it tells me it it is literally a biological indicator of like that is going to fuck up your day. So please fix that. So this year I have learned how to effectively or and it's going to get better as as I get older, how to learn what I need to quickly to put out a fire or build a raft, <laughs> or learn whatever I need to, to either avoid or somehow redirect whatever catastrophe is coming my way. And it, specifically, when it comes to my business, I've only been in business for two, I can't even say two, Yeah, I'm, I'm still saying one. I've had an audience for a while, but it's only been, I think, a, a year last month where I ventured on my own and trying to figure out with the relationships and things that I've had, how to kind of go from what we're kind of not even taught, but how we're like built to think like employees. And I'm I'm not saying that in a, the derogatory sense, but there's certain brain patterns that I had that wouldn't allow me to, didn't help me scale what I was trying to build. And, and I feel like I finally broke some of those thought patterns which have really helped me figure out in addition to hiring a business coach which was part of the growth but you know learning how to not be in the business but work on the business I mean there's a whole bunch of learning lessons but essentially me being able to in a year where everybody was inside and where everything was becoming digital or a lot of money was being allocated to digital events, digital this, digital that, AR, VR, being able to see a whole change in the market, in addition to finally, like, with the market change, seeing where I fit into it, as well as how to scale my business in that market change. Those are like the three things that have been highly, I guess, learning lessons and what I'm continuing to learn and just been like beautiful things in the past year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, it's good that you're learning that in your first year of business. There's a lot of businesses that don't get that until maybe, maybe year two or three after they've gone it alone and figured out that's not the best way to do it. Uh, like I like that part you said about sort of being in the business but not really working on the business. So
1: it's good which that you're still hard because I have to be on camera, which <laughs> part of what we're trying
0: to figure. Well, out. I mean, but but hey, that's your business though, right? That's Gross Media. what's a typical day like for you?
1: I can tell you what I would like to have my typical day be. And it's only in re it's only in bouts of stress like this last week where I just throw it all away. Typically I wake up at six. I'm very structured, man. Like I get thrown off. If you ask me to do anything outside of my routine in the morning, I don't care if I wake up at like today, I woke up at nine. I must get on my little cycle. Must be, between either 15 minutes or three miles. I, I listen to audiobooks while I'm on the cycle. I must take a shower after that, make my coffee, and then I make a list for what needs to get done that day, and then I sit in my chair for... for I honestly don't like to... If I can get all my work done before like 1 p.m., because I know as soon as I eat, I'm tired. Yeah. So I, I try to get... And this is why... I went on a break last week and I'm trying to get my schedule back together because I had a really challenging like three week, almost a month sprint where I work through the weekends. I typically don't do that. Yeah. From six, seven, seven to about like one, I'll probably, that's my work. I'll maybe do, that's where all my, everything that must be done is done within that time. And then the rest of the day is just like what other things need to be planned. Like, for example, one of the things I need to focus on is creating SOPs for whoever I decide needs to fill these positions that I, we were kind of talking about earlier. But yeah, I mean, morning until like 1 p.m. is kind of pretty structured. After that, it's like it just depends on what I want to do or what extra like, what would I have to be doing tomorrow that I can do today? But I, I, I'm pretty regimented. And I try to keep in mind that I know my brain is only probably optimal for like four or five hours of really good, like no distraction related work. After that, I'm like, dur, dur. <laughs> Like the, the bunnies and the chipmunks, they are they are like running around <laughs> in my brain at that point. No way. I, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's literally my typical day and Saturdays and Sundays. And working is different. It's typically strategizing and reading on Saturdays and Sundays. It's not sitting in, at a computer. I, I don't necessarily consider it work.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, but you've got that structure down, which I think probably helps out from day to day to make sure that you sort of stay on task.
1: That's one thing that I know I'm really good at is like habits. Usually <laughs> people are and my dad is this way too. I got it from him. The people always yell at us. They're like, oh, you can't disrupt. There's like, you know, an hour in the beginning of our days that you just can't disrupt or we even have, there's literally a calendar. Actually, I'm not gonna bring my dad into this. I'm a, (laughs) but he has a phrase like, I don't eat cake on Tuesdays. And we're like, why on, why specifically Tuesdays? But there's a reason and he sticks to it. I'm the same Mm. way.
0: Look, we all got to have our, our rules. We got to have our, our structure that gets us through things. I think especially since this past year, like, People have just had to discover and develop their own kinds of habits to get through. So it's not a bad thing, I don't think. Yeah. What are some projects that you're working on now?
1: So with everything going digital, man, do you know what virtual production is?
0: Virtual production? Yeah. Where it is? What it is. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah.
1: All right. Have you seen these people on the internet with like mocap suits? You've seen these like, and they've been around for a while, but they're starting to pop up a little bit more like uh, for example, you have AI Angel, Code Miko, you have these virtual influencers, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen those.
1: All right. So I have been studying how to do... I have like a beta version of this stuff made. So I have like a car, I have a city. You've probably seen it in my live streams, but mm-hmm. I'm just getting my character made. I hired somebody to to make my character and we're going to start building in the metaverse like what i'm with the tournament that we we were talking about a little bit earlier design design off.live. it's a uh, you know it's basically think esports but for design and mm. i really want that event to be almost like a music like a a virtual music concert slash tournament do you play games maurice i do what games do you play
0: Well, I've got a Switch, so I'm not going to lie. I'm mostly playing Animal Crossing these days because it's just a (laughs) a de-stress. Wait a minute. You didn't let me finish. You didn't let me finish. I mean, I'm mostly playing that. I do have a PS4, and I'm like between playing Fuser and Persona 5 Royal. So like it varies.
1: Persona 5 brought me back. (laughs) You reeled me back in. All right. Uh, do (laughs) Do you watch Twitch at all? Do you watch any gamers?
0: I've seen some gamers on Twitch. I watch a few on YouTube also. I think they kind of... I know I've watched some people do live streams on YouTube. I've seen some gaming live streams on Twitch as as well.
1: Got you. I think what's really missing right now, and it's also very challenging at the moment with, you know, everybody's on Zoom calls, everybody's watching live streams of some sort. The thing is, is that, and this has always been the problem, even with like webinars, it's people on stage talking to audience. An audience is just like chatting. And yes, you can hit the clap button or the heart button or whatever. But I've been watching this one individual. Her name is Code Miko, and she does it the best. Her avatar and like maybe the world that she has isn't necessarily to my aesthetic liking. But the fact that she's able to allow the audience, she's a developer by trade. And so the audience can input commands or purchase certain things to mess up or make things happen to her. Either mess up the environment, make things blow up, make her dance, mute her while she's streaming. She's basically gamified her live stream experience. And so like, you know, you're a gamer. Imagine if you're watching a live stream of one of your favorite brands or maybe even uh, one of your friends and you just want to mess with them and you just like drop a dollar or five dollars and maybe even just type this code and you, you know, something funny happens on stream. Mm hmm. It's no longer a one way street, it's a two way street. And there's so many levels of complexity that you can make this. I mean, I really don't even think the large brands are even doing this right. We're still at the point where we're looking at these large organizations with like millions, billions of dollars, and they're still doing the side by side conferences, you know what I mean? With mm-hmm. like, almost like Zoom calls. So, really, what I'm looking at is how do we bring that sort of Code Miko entertainment into design through Design Off as a tournament? almost like think about it as wwe is like the entertainment version of wrestling <laughs> the stuff is I'm not saying what we're doing on stage is fake but it's so like dramatized people get hype about it and it's entertaining bringing that side of things over to the design world and it also be somewhat of a learning experience as well so the number one thing that i'm working on is design Live and other design education related events and now i'm so far down the line i don't remember your questions
0: (laughs) no that was that was it i mean i was going to talk about design off and you sort of mentioned what it is and everything but i was asking like what projects are you working on i'm really intrigued by this this virtual production like so you're going to have like a virtual avatar that represents you it's you but it's not you sort of like a vtuber i guess right
1: VTuber, essentially, except it's going to be, I wish this was like a video podcast because we bring it up. Think VTuber, but not like VTuber is kind of like, it's the concept of what I'm talking about, but it's niche into almost like the anime sort of sect. Whereas kind of what I'm talking about, think about you've played Assassin's Creed, right? Mm -hmm. Or any type of dope 3D video game. Essentially, things have gotten so cheap, Maurice, like. I have a mocap suit. Like We were about to dive in. My mocap suit was only $2,500. I can put on this suit and I can download any character I want from a video game, from whatever, and I can become that. It yeah. costs $2,500 for that suit. The character is probably between $25 and $100. And as I put on the suit, I become that. And even the scenes are like $25. So the ability to create almost AAA level Quality game, and the thing is, is like games, right? You can create your own game, except what I want to do with it is make it more so an entertainment platform and also a tournament. So rather than making a game, we're we're doing something a little bit different. We're we're pulling a couple things together, Mm -hmm. but yeah, essentially VTuber. However, it's more so taking the thought of making like a real AAA game, whether that be the latest. Assassin's Creed or, you know, some other high graphic game, basically utilizing Unreal Engine in in its capabilities.
0: Hmm. I'm very intrigued by that. I really want to see kind of how that will come forth in the future, especially with people have virtual reality headsets and stuff like that, like how all of this will kind of work together. Because I do see things going certainly more into this I hate to say the virtual world because it sounds like I'm sound like I'm a kid in the nineties. Remember when the virtual world was like a thing in cartoons and, and, and television series? <laughs> We're going to the virtual world. That's sort of what this feels like, but it's, it's actualized. Like you can do it. Like it's in the realm now that, you know, any consumer can probably get into it. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, man. The costs are really low. Things are going to be crazy, man. Like we were, at the end of this podcast, pe- people are going to be like, Brian has his screws loose. Someone get him a, a Home Depot set. let we call it. But yeah, I, the way that I see things going, like you were saying the virtual world, like I'm making numbers up, but I really do think that there will be people that like live in the virtual world. Uh-huh. And then there's, have you seen on Netflix the uh, Altered Carbon? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I'm not gonna go too much into it because I'm horrible at at uh, exp- <laughs> explaining. Everybody's gonna be like, "That sounds horrible," <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's a really good series, guys. I really you should check it out. But there's people they call the real world the real, and um, those are the people that live like in virtual reality by choice, and then there's people that live in the real world. I really do think that that will be a choice. Like you're only at like you're not even at half life of your 100 years. So I really do think like in the next like 20, maybe 30, you have crypto coming up, the ability for people to maybe not even have regular jobs, just like play games for their not even like streaming, just be able to play Pokemon Go for their income. We're going into a lot of things, but I'm just very excited about the virtual world because I like I said, I'm a what in this, I guess, industry, what people will call the world builder. It's kind of the metaverse is what it's called and people who create within the metaverse are people that create games but i think video games is going to be one of the ways that we enjoy life in the future which is which is interesting and weird to talk about
0: wow the metaverse that sounds like another like 90s <laughs> cartoon i'm not saying that to, to be derisive or anything but like it sounds really cool don't get me wrong like that stokes the inner child in me to be like oh what is this about even as you mentioned, you know, altered carbon and the and, uh, the kind of, I guess, notion of being able to sort of have yourself inside of the metaverse. And I don't know. It reminds me of this anime. Uh, you've probably seen it called Serial Experiments Lane. Serial?
1: No, but I'm writing it down.
0: I don't know if it's streaming on anything. This will make, and I know if Cat Small is listening, this will make, I think, the second time I've mentioned it on the show. I don't know if it's available to stream, but it's a 13-episode series about this girl Named lame and like how she gets sucked into this sort of online internet world. I think if you like Altered Carbon, you would like that show. Yeah, yeah. So to bring it back to the real world for a minute, <laughs> I can't help but notice, of course, in your photo that people can see here for the cover art that you're holding this this sort of like neon. Adobe XD logo cube, which Adobe XD appears to be your, your kind of main tool of choice. Talk to me about that. How'd you land For on sure. Adobe XD?
1: And it's not just Adobe XD. That's part of it, but it's more so about the Adobe brand in particular. Um, okay, And so I'll explain that. So Adobe XD, just because, and I can't just say just because, because my main skill or my main trade is ui ux design and being able to there's a couple of reasons right have a company that offers not just the it offers the suite of not just what i have done to that produced my income right as a ui ux designer xd but they also have photoshop Illustrator, they also have after effects premiere they have everything at really one one cost and so the larger picture I see is, you know, I have to be careful kind of what, what I say here because it's not necessarily true. We're moving in a space where AR and VR is going to be what UI, UX designers are as of right now. There's when COVID kind of came through and everything started to become, you know, remote, I saw a huge uptick in the need for UI UX designers. Why? (laughs) Because everybody's at home and the companies who have these streaming platforms and who have digital experiences, their revenue is skyrocketing because everybody's on their some sort of screen. And the next version of that is, yeah, we have screens now, but you have companies like Snapchat, even though (laughs) their glasses technology looks a little bit funky at the moment. Did you see that release this week? Of the new like specs? Yeah. 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 So it looks a little funky, but that is like version point oh one. Like that's essentially a beta version of what I think the iPhone was when it first came out. It doesn't look sexy, but the idea is there being able to wear a set of spectacles where your friend could decide, Hey, I want to wear this pirate hat and I'm going to press this anytime anybody has a certain type of Technical optic and looks at me, they're going to see my digital outfit. So that's also the metaverse, right? So you could decide on your app or whatever, or you, right? You could be like, I want to wear X, Y, and Z. You put that in your phone. And if I'm looking at you with these spectacles, I could see everything that you decided to wear in a digital space while also in the real world. I just find that being a lot more attractive to me just because the sky is the limit on what you can do. You're no longer limited to <laughs> 1920 by 1080. You're not limited to what is it, 320 by whatever, 568. Someone's gonna be like, he was the pixel off. All right, <laughs> write it in the comments, guys. But yeah, I, I think that's the next step because the sky is the limit. The only thing that you're really limited by is the hardware. But for screen experience, you know, it, when we can just create experiences that on the things that we look at, man. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. And so tools like Adobe XD or even like the Creative Suite really kind of play into that more.
1: Yeah, because you are able to use like, this is the thing. When you have, you know, things like whether it be Figma, Sketch, uh, whatever else is out there, you have specific tools for specific things. Mm -hmm. But when the market starts to become more complex and you need to be able to adapt, what is their lifespan looking like? Mm. And I'm just like, that's great. They're, you know, they're a specialty tool that, you know, they ha- that has market share. The larger scheme of things where I think things are going, and also what I'm interested in, which is also a large factor, which is probably where my bias is because there's still going to be screen experiences needed, right? There's still people trying to get their mobile out out here, and they are million-dollar companies out here trying to get their mobile app out. So, yeah, I I just like to be on the, the cutting edge of things and being a part of technologies that allow flexibility and also the integration of where things are moving. So you have, you know, Adobe Dimension is a 3D tool, that allows designers is also by Adobe, right? Without really any three D knowledge, knowing how to make stuff, you just need to know how to download models,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: change the color of them, and then use your your brain to rearrange them in the way that you think looks best. Export that, drop that, in whether that be Photoshop, XD, you know, it just makes Adobe's tagline really does hold up, or it's just like creative for all. They reduce the barrier to entry and reduce the complexity of what it takes to create something.
0: I know for a while in the design industry, there was this big, I don't know, I felt like there was this big push away from Adobe tools. I feel like it was right around the time Adobe Creative Cloud became a thing with their subscription and a lot of folks like really, a lot of designers I know really pushed away from it, trying to find some alternative. And they doubled down on Sketch, which is still Mac only, or they, they used Figma or they're using other tools like that. But, I mean, the way that Adobe has been innovating over the past few years since they started Creative Cloud, probably because of all that subscription money, I'm not going to lie. But the way that they have innovated over the past few years has been nothing short of remarkable. And, I mean... I hate to say there's not really any other tools out there that can touch what Adobe is doing. This is not an Adobe sponsorship, by the way, although if y'all are interested, let me know. I'm just (laughs) saying this because personally I cut my teeth on Adobe. Like I learned Photoshop and illustrator on my own. I I just did an interview earlier today where I was talking about how, you know, I I didn't start out in design. Like I started out doing like customer service stuff after I graduated from college. And I would go to Barnes and Noble and pick up, like .NET magazines and those like UK computer magazines that would always come with a a like a CD or something, or those Photoshop tips and tricks books. I'd go to Barnes and Noble, get those, look through them, take pictures, take them back home, and use my pirated copy of Photoshop to try to like you know get my design chops up and stuff. You know, of course, now that I'm in a position where I can pay for it, I do pay for it. But I say that to say in terms of the amount of innovation. I mean, Photoshop is a verb for a reason. I mean, nobody's out here saying they're going to Figma their photos. No.
1: I don't even think you can Figma a photo, sadly.
0: Look, where I work, <laughs> look, where I work at now, I asked them for an Adobe Creative Cloud subscription because I wanted to work on some design stuff and they were like, "Well, we have Figma." And I'm like, "Nah, that's okay."
1: <laughs> that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what? There's no right or wrong. I think there's just certain, like I said, there's a market for a reason, right? There's yeah. particular individuals that their needs really line up with Figma. Like, pff, they were free. They had all this stuff for free. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what they had was, for a lot of people, they were like, why not? Right. But- for like you said when you find yourself in a position and you're like I have the resources now to allocate to a tool that allows me to do more of my best work yeah that's kind of the mindset that when you have that mindset you have the resources to actually put it towards something that m- makes you do your best work mm-hmm. you know for me that just happens to be adobe because I'm I, I the type of work that I do requires a lot of cross threading Um, yeah you know
0: that's fair yeah and i mean also you know with these adobe tools i mean they've been industry standard for a reason like every design job i've had i've still had to use like dreamweaver or photoshop or something but i can see why these other types of tools have become more popular because they have been brought up as the industry changes like there's been a huge influx of ux ui designers and product designers in the past like seven years or so and so there have to be tools then that can kind of work with that and for i know for a while people were trying to use maybe photoshop or illustrator to do that but needed something that was maybe a bit more i don't know exact i guess because illustrators for vectors photoshop is for photo manipulation and like if you're trying to do something that's more product-based you need a tool that I guess sort of would allow you to simulate some of those things, which of course is why Adobe XD comes along, but then also why you have like a sketch and a Figma or something like that. The tools match what the industry is doing at the moment. So I can see that. Yeah. You know, kind of switch gears here a little bit. I know you are are located in Maryland. Is that where you're originally from? I think so. (laughs)
1: Like a, Guys, for those of you guys who are listening, Maurice asked me before the podcast, he was like, Brandon, where are you currently residing? I was like, first off, reside is a too big word to even use in a sentence with me. And then I was like, I don't even know my street address, barely. But yes, Maryland is, I think, where I've always been. Uh, I have been to Texas, though. i would lived there for a little bit. And I love the heat over there, man. Love that it doesn't get cold. But yeah, I've been been in Maryland for the majority of my lifespan of 27 years. What was it like? And this is also why what is interesting because people ask me about life and I talk about the internet. I really didn't go outside much. Uh huh.
0: So growing um, up, you were the kid that was like always in the house on oh, the computer.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like even if you look at my Facebook profile pictures and you look at the, like there was one day where I was looking at some of my high school friends and their pictures versus mine. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, they hang out with people. And so the majority of my childhood was wrestling and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I oh. was a very active, you know like I said I can't really sit in a chair, I had a lot of energy. So the majority of my childhood starting at 8 up until whenever college started or after high school was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and just teaching and training both kids and adults. Uh, I have a a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I stopped after I moved to Texas and trained a little bit here and there, on and off. Business is a lot like jujitsu, except you don't get physical ailments from it, unless right now uh, I have a pinched nerve <laughs> for sitting in my chair. So I'm really lying.
0: So you're like Street Fighter, basically.
1: I mean, I, you could say that, but I'm definitely the first one to run. Like if you were with me, I have Maurice. Let me tell you this real quick. Back to my anxiety and paranoia. I'm not sure. If it runs in my family, but I am the first one. We're about to go to the store. I'm like, it's an actual phrase. Let me grab my pepper spray. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like I always, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I like to be overly prepared because I don't know what's going to go down. And I'm not saying I live in a a bad area, but that's always. And I think that's also from jujitsu too, where it's a mindset kind of came where it's like the paranoid survive. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's kind of how I operate. Some people think that's very a chaotic way to live, but for me, it's like, hey, that's the way that I operate i um am very uh, I try to be always overly prepared. you never know what's going to happen, and you try your best to optimize what you know based on the situations that you're in, which is also probably why I don't leave the house a lot. There's a lot of stimuli out. I, I can control everything that's artificial, which is in the computer. <laughs> I have okay. problems, Maurice.
0: <laughs> so I mean, were you but I mean, even like still to that point, I guess you were still, I'm assuming, exposed to a lot of design and tech growing up, perhaps?
1: A lot of art. Oh, a lot of books. Okay. A lot of books, a lot of puzzles. Yeah, that's all I did, man. Is I man, I was a hustler. I would resell things that I found at school back to kids. I would sell like art lessons at like in elementary school and make money so that I, I I really use this money to, (laughs) or the quarters my parents left in the couch to purchase puzzles that I would put together. Um, or my grandmother would always buy me like these things called Zoids. Do you remember those Zoids? They're essentially like Gundams, but they're like cats (laughs) or different animals. I hadn't um, heard of those. Yeah, they I don't remember what what year they were, but they were like my thing. I would put them together without the instructions, and these things are like hundreds of pieces, and I would just figure it out. And honestly, my my main superpower that I think is like, I'm just like, oh, that was the wrong hole. We got to figure the other hole out. Mm-hmm. I'm very good at at putting things together, and that's why I always loved art and expressing things. But I also loved creating something that worked. And so, which is why I really struggled at the end of high school and, and even moving into to college where it was just like, what is technology plus art? And I didn't have an answer. And at, around the time I was like 18, I was like, oh, we're just going to be a tattoo artist somehow without getting any <laughs> tattoos. That wasn't going to fly because who's going to hire a tattoo artist with any, without any tattoos? I know I wouldn't.
0: You got to start so, somewhere.
1: Well, this is true. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I just was not, I was like, I know I mess up paper. So if somebody comes to me and was like, can I have an owl? And I just mess up one feather. Somebody's not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I really like control and something that you can constantly tinker with. And that's where I found, I, I dabbled in internships at like NIH with uh, medical illustration. I thought that was really weird. I really this is when I learned I really didn't like <laughs> really I really didn't like work because and I was probably around 18, 19 at the time. And I would go there and and I wanna I would want to learn so much because these people would do show me like interesting things and I would spend time trying to learn how to do it. And then they would go out on like three hour lunch breaks and I would always like go in and ask the question, they're kicked back in their chair, and I'm like, this is what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, well, nobody does any work here. And I'm not saying this is what the general workforce does, but I was just very turned off by the lack of, and it wasn't even that the other inter- interns were like that as well. I was very turned off in that environment that the fact that there are so many interesting things around us and nobody's asking any questions. Yeah. So I'm a tinkerer, man. Like, even though I call myself a designer, I'm probably more so an inventor mindset than anything else. I really like to learn how things work. Like we will be <laughs> in giant, man. And I'll be like, I wonder how they package those raisins. I, wonder, <laughs> I want like everything makes I ask questions all the time and mm-hmm. I really like to find how certain things are made or especially when things are in alignment with what I do
0: i'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here because I feel like I just kind of based on what you're telling me, I really get the sense that you've had to work a lot to kind of build up your confidence in order to really kind of one, I think showcase you know work that you can do and of course to partner with you know Adobe and other companies and such like that. How do you build that confidence? Like what advice would you give out there to somebody that's listening that? wants to kind of build up that confidence to be
1: like you. Well, I wouldn't say try to be like me. Let's let's pause. Let's pause right there. But I think I have a pretty good I didn't have this story when we first kind of talked about this in the beginning of the podcast. But I it's one thing that I hold like indefinitely in my head that like changed things for me. So in school, school was very hard for me. And the way that I was and that I talked about NIH was not who I was in early school, like at all. To be honest with everybody, I don't even know how I passed elementary school, middle school, any, I never did any work. I have no idea. They wanted me out of their classrooms. But I never paid attention in class. And mainly because I struggled with the way, now thinking back, it's a little bit clear. I didn't understand the instructions that whomever was Giving me and how to do certain things. And I was like, why is it this way and not this way? And because I didn't understand the way that they were telling me, a lot of the times I was basically like the laughing stock. Like there were so many times where if I even just dare raise my hand in class, like the class would just blow up in laughter. And that really hurt a lot. And so a lot of elementary school and in middle school, I just thought like we were talking a little bit earlier where. <laughs> the kids in like the special help class programs like that was me. I think I stuttered reading out loud, even in high school, man, honestly, that mess sucked. But, you know, what really changed was I would probably always get like, I'm not even sure you can get D's in elementary school. You can. Um, <laughs> well, I probably got them. Yeah. And I just remember my mom telling me as supportive as she could. She was like, you're different. You have ADHD. Just please try to pass. And I remember like, yeah, you know, it's not just one time, but just like looking at myself in the mirror not trying, like not understanding like why I didn't get things. Thinking back about it, d- it doesn't make me feel good. But there was this one day where I was just like, for whatever reason, I just decided. On the dumbest thing ever too, Maurice, it was a spelling test. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to just try and spell probably like because and not spell it because. I don't remember what it was, but I decided to, like, stay up really late and just, like, study 10 words, probably, what it was. And I got an A. I remember, like, running home from the bus with, like, the paper in hand to tell my mom. Damn, I can't even tell this story. Shit hurts. Oh, I didn't mean to. To No, you're good. Because it's a really good story. man. And then I, I opened the door and I said, like, Mom, I got an A. And she hugged me. And I remember I went upstairs after that, and I was so pissed, Maurice, that I listened for I don't know how many years to people telling me that I was slow. And <laughs> with, regardless of the tears dropping, it was like in that moment that I realized that I had let people tell me things about me that I accepted. I got so pissed in that moment. I was like, I will never, ever, ever allow somebody to tell me what I can and cannot do. And I probably like threw a castle around in my building or in my in my room. (laughs) Something like that. But yes, it was a spelling test. Yes, it was something minimal, but it was like that big lesson that how me, other people, what stories that we hold in our heads and that we apply to ourselves and that weigh us down in terms of like what we actually think is is possible. And I'm not religious or, or anything. I I found recently in the Bible, Exodus three fourteen. I don't forget who asks, but they essentially ask God what his name is or what he's called. And he says, I am, I was thinking about like this school period or this anger or whatever, that this experience that I had that made me feel less than. And I was like, why, why would he say I am? And I was like, he's probably so like woke that he understands and doesn't even give the ability to somebody else to even label whatever he is. He just is. Or whatever, you know, it is. And I was like, wow. Regardless of who said that shit, <laughs> that's some powerful stuff. I am. And you know, that's something that really sticks with me because I live and you know, this is a little bit going into, you know, us talking about the imposter thing. I just understand that I am an entity that becomes whatever I decide I would like to become. I come with a biological technology that allows me to pick up and put down whatever it is that I desire within my capabilities of operation. So long story, how can somebody become more so of themselves rather than like me? It takes time. You know, I, I happen to find it studying 10 fucking words. For a a, a spelling bee and realizing that I was holding people's stories of me and I never crafted my own. And so every day I hold myself accountable to what story would I like to tell the world about me. That's what's highly important. And I change from day to day. Wow. That's really powerful. I hope so. (laughs) I hope it was worth the tears. It dropped in my teeth. No. uh (laughs) (laughs) I can't drink that any longer.
0: I kind of want to. Keep on that same vein, not trying to make you continue to cry, but two tears were done. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. that comes out. <laughs> As you have have said, you've managed to kind of instill this confidence now within yourself, where you don't take in other people's sort of thoughts or stories about who you are. And to that end, you have this very unique personal brand which you've taken time to craft. Like I've, like I said, I've watched your videos. I've seen your photos, looked at your Instagram, et cetera. How can someone out there listening kind of start to like create their own personal brand? Is it kind of more of the same process that you talked about?
1: Yeah, it's really getting in tune with what it is that you produce and that you want to produce. I think it's really important. We produce things on autopilot, right? like you by yourself or me by myself, I'm more likely than not, I'm probably talking to myself regardless of where I am, <laughs> which probably makes what I do very natural. And, and that's why, you know, the acting thing is probably seems natural because I do, man, I talk to myself in the shower. My partner is like, who the hell are you talking to? And I'm like talking to like Sarah, Jamil, and I'm like, they're in my head, they're talking. We have yet to be tested for schizophrenia, but there's probably a little dose of that, <laughs> that in there. But I think it's really important to know what you enjoy and what you do naturally. That is, that way you don't have to try too hard, but understand where your natural abilities and occurrences lie. And mm-hmm. then find, like, it's it's not just that, because you have to also understand what people enjoy about that. But you have to find what people like and value. Like, for example, you could be funny to yourself, but are you funny to other people? So, for example, when I was young as in high school, I was picked on a lot. And it wasn't until I started saying the dumb shit that was in my head (laughs) right back at the person where other people started dying laughing about what I said. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And so this is when I started like when I realized I was like. Oh, I do this naturally. Are there other people that are funny that I can study that could help help me enhance what I do naturally? So, <laughs> I watch so much Cat Williams, man. Like there's a lot of I watch a lot of comedy to help me enhance what I'm naturally capable of and find people other <laughs> I'm about to sound crazy, but I was about to say other avatars, other people who are built with almost somewhat of the same things that I see in me and just take what they're doing and try to evolve my skill set from what they're doing. Like I, I really study, I try to find who I would be in the future based on what I know about myself and what I see in them and try to take what they have already done and apply it to what I'm doing today. I study, yeah, I said Cat Williams, but I try to read as much as possible Uh, bibliographies, because there's frameworks. These people who have lived like hundreds, thousands, I don't know how long (laughs) the earth has been here, but there has been a repetition of your DNA and capabilities somewhere in the universe. Imagine if you were able to find throughout a couple of books who you want to be or who you think you'll be sprinkled Throughout books and just in a couple paragraphs, you can take those learnings and apply them to the frameworks that you walk about life with. The reason I read is to build the character that I'd like to see. I think of myself as a computer, essentially. I download software through books or through watching people or through uh, whatever type of input. But it's really important that I understand who I would like to become and find frameworks through multiple ways to craft said character and i know that scene with the words that i'm using some people will be like that doesn't sound good this goes back to that that first story i told would you rather be told who you are or create who you want to become or who you are rather and that's just how i go about building my character
0: what do you appreciate the most about your life right now
1: Honestly, probably my time with my partner and the freedom that's first. And then the freedom to just think about what I want to put out into the world and have time to do that and have a community and, you know, people around me who also are trying to strive for the same things and working together and building that idea. So r- my relationships, my free time, and my ability to, with that free time, um, think about what I want to put into the world and and produce, and what impact that has
0: speaking of that, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Like when you look at yourself, say, in the next like five years or so, what's the sort of work that you want to be doing?
1: The impact is just possibility, man. Like I really do want to, through this uh, design of be able to have people understand that you can. Learn all day, right? You can be on YouTube and just learn, but just through doing and having fun and and just tinker, just tinker and build what you want. That's what makes you learn. And to kind of facilitate that, just how Dean Kamer has, that's something that's really something I'd like to do. In addition to some, uh, I'm not entirely sure even what to call it, but because we are going to be getting into the sort of metaverse and being able to produce like quality a 3d movies almost just because of our, our virtual setup i would also like to do some storytelling as well we'll see the combination of both
0: i could see storytelling you got the voice for it
1: <laughs> i appreciate it
0: so just to you know kind of wrap things up here brandon where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online
1: For sure. You guys can find me. If you just type my name into Google, you'll find me. Brandon Gross, G R O C E. If you guys want to participate in Design Off, you guys can go to designoff.live. The majority of my stuff, you guys can find me on Instagram. It's probably where I'm most active. Or you guys can join our amazing Discord community with over a thousand other creatives from all over the world and not just UI UX designers. We have illustrators. 3d artists we literally have uh i think there's more people from other countries than uh where i'm at so it's really nice to have people who are not just in one vertical but can help each other build on top of something so short answer instagram at brandon gross youtube same thing but if you find me on instagram you find me everywhere else
0: all right sounds good well Brandon Gross, I definitely want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I honestly, one, sharing your story and being as, as open and candid as you were to share it. I think it's important for people to kind of see the path that people take to get to where they are. Like, it's not always this, this kind of straightforward. You went to this school, then this school, and then worked at this place. Like, people come into this industry in so many different ways. And I think it's really important to be able to see how you've been able to make your own place in this industry, how it's helped you build your confidence, how you've not only helped to build a community, but also helped to empower so many others out there to see the possibilities for themselves that they didn't see. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it.
1: Likewise, Maurice. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Big, big thanks to Brandon Gross, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Brandon and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Also, if you are in New York City and you're listening to this, Poster House, which is the only museum dedicated to posters in the United States, is pleased to offer free admission to the museum on Juneteenth, Saturday, June 19th. Head to www.posterhouse.org and book your free ticket to visit the museum to check out Julius Klinger, Posters for a Modern Age, and Hunter S. Thompson's Run for Sheriff in the exhibit Freak Power. Remember, it's this Saturday, Juneteenth, that's June nineteenth, and this is a free event that you don't want to miss. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry with engineering and editing by R.J. Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this interview? As a matter of fact, what do you think about the podcast overall? Don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path. Or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone know about the show, because it really helps us grow and reach more people all over the world.